welcome everybody to Creekside. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with us as we worship our King. Sarah and uh, Austin Temperley, are you guys in here? You better be. I talked with you. There they are. Get up here, you guys. Yeah, I, I don't want to be up here by myself. Most of you know that, that Austin and Sarah are going to be, and their family, are going to be moving to uh, um, Arizona this week. Yeah, this week. Uh, and how long have you guys been with us? Two years. Two years. Uh, and, you know, these guys, when they got here, um, they, they hit the ground running. They got involved, and, you know, and we just love you guys for that, you know. And your kids, I mean, just great kids. You guys are involved, and we love that. And so we are, we are really going to miss you guys. But... We, our loss is going to be somebody's gain because there's, be, there's going to be a church family down in Arizona that, that's picking up an excellent family. And, you know, we, we are uh, we're sorry to see you go, but we're glad. And we're, we just want to, you know, tell you that. And we just want to pray with you and ask God's blessing as, as you guys go down there and just, you know, that he would watch over you, get a good church family for you, and just, you know, just pray for you. And let's just do that right now. As a, as a church family, let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, uh, what a great God you are, and we love you, we love to serve you, and, and it's people like Austin and Sarah that uh, are great examples of that, of, of serving and just doing whatever it takes to further your kingdom and further your gospel. So Father God, as they uh, this week are preparing, they're going to be packing up on Tuesday, uh, we would just pray that that, that would go smoothly, that they would have a lot of help to, to assist them in getting their, uh, their truck loaded, and, and then we would just ask for them as they're traveling down that you you would just give them safety, uh, just help them to not have any big problems as they're going down. Uh, just, uh, uh, and Father, when they get down there, help them get settled in, find a new house, uh, Austin in his new job, uh, kids, school, all of that, Father. We just, we just pray for, for them as they're doing that. And then we would just pray that they would find a church family that they could get plugged into to use their gifts and their talents and their ministries. So, Father, we just want to bring them before you, lift them up to you, ask your blessing on them and their family. Uh, we've loved them so much to be with us the last two years, and we, uh, we look forward to them uh, uh, finding a new church family and a new group of friends down in Arizona, and, and we just pray that you would uh, watch over them as they're doing that. So, Father God, and we're going to take an offering right now. We just uh, we thank you for that we have the opportunity to give back to you. And it's already yours. You, you've blessed us with so much. We just thank you that we have the opportunity to give back to you and to help further your kingdom here in, in the urban and Des Moines area. So God, we just ask your blessing on this offering as we pass it right now. And it's in your son's holy and blessed name that we ask all these things. Amen. In your grace and your mercy, God, thank you that you had grace and mercy on us. Thank you that we are made whole in your sight because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys struggle with your memory? You know, it is a struggle of mine. A um, couple examples. I don't know how many times I've uh, been texted something from my wife that says, hey, I need you to stop and pick something up for me on the way home from work today. And I get off work. And I'm like two minutes from home, and I'm like, oh, man, I was supposed to pick up milk or medicine or whatever it is. Or how many times I have uh, been driving home from church, and I'm talking to, to Lauren, and I say, hey, you know, uh, I met someone new today. Well, what were their names? Oh, man, um, I think it was, or how many times, I mean, this is, this is very appropriate, even added on to this, on the way to church today, uh, we realized that we forgot to bring something that we were supposed to bring for a, a little gathering that we're having later today. So, 
Needless to say, I struggle with my memory, and maybe some of you guys do too. But today we're talking about something different than just the struggle to remember uh, the day-to-day things we need to remember. We're talking about something that is much more serious, and and I'm calling it spiritual amnesia. It's not a a term that you find in in the text in Mark, but I think you're going to see it's very appropriate. And really, I want to suggest that this is something that I really believe that every Christian fights throughout their life. This battle to remember this, this condition I'm calling spiritual amnesia. And so we're going to be in, in Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> I once watched, years ago, I once watched a movie about a guy who has amnesia. And, and this is true, I don't really remember much about the plot. But the one thing I remember, the one thing that was unique about this, this movie is that the scenes kind of moved in reverse order. So you watched a scene, and then you watched the next scene, and it was the scene before that, and the next scene was the scene before that. And I think part of the intent of the, of the director was to make you identify with this guy, because as you're watching the movie, you're struggling to remember, okay, what happened? All right, what happened after this? What happened after this? And it, it goes in reverse order. So kind of as inspiration from that, I thought, and, and there's actually another reason behind this, is that we're looking at this passage today in reverse order, okay? There's three scenes in the book of Mark that I, sorry, that I want us to look at and focus on, and the intent is not to confuse you. The intent is not to make you struggle to understand what's going on, like this movie I watched. Uh, the, the intent is, I really believe that at the end of this passage, we get the clue, the key to understanding this whole passage. So in Mark, Chapter 6, and we're going to look at scene 3 first, and it starts in verse 45. Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their heart were hardened. Now, I really think that Mark, who's writing under the influence of Peter, remember, I really think he gives us a a way to understand uh, this whole section by what he says in verse 52. Talking Talking about the disciples, says, For they had not understood about the loaves. That's the same word that they use for bread. So you could say, they did not understood about the bread, for their hearts were hardened. Spiritual amnesia, what is it? Well, I want to present to you right up front that spiritual amnesia is a failure to recognize Jesus, first of all. And it's a failure to remember what he's done. I want to point out a couple things from this section here. And just to set the scene, so the the disciples had been ministering hard, working all day, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to get into this boat 
and go to the other side. I'm going to stay here and pray. So the disciples, they get into the boat, and I don't think this is like a, a terrible storm, but it's a really strong wind, and they're out there, they're struggling, they're rowing, and, and it's bad enough where they do seem to be stuck, because it says that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between about 3 and 6 a.m., and so, you know, what, what they had maybe planned on as being, you know, a, a several-hour uh, journey across the lake. You can go to that next slide there, uh, Justin. Uh, they were on the Lake of Galilee, which I think is about eight miles wide at its widest, and they were in this area of Bethsaida up on the northeast side. And, we, you know, we have to kind of piece together exactly what happened. We don't know the exact situation. We know they were outside in an open area before that. But they were rowing across to get to the other side of the lake. And they had become stuck. I mean, the wind was blowing. And, and they were out there. They were working hard. And they weren't making any progress. And so, here's this, this scene where Jesus comes walking across the lake. And the disciples, it says, their, their response was they were terrified. In verse 49, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. They were completely freaked out, okay? And they'd never seen Jesus walk on water before. So I don't know if we should be too hard on them, but they were terrified. And they thought it was a ghost, okay? Their, their superstitions kicked in. Uh, everything else, they thought, this is a ghost. Jesus says, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. So the disciples here had a failure to recognize Jesus. And they saw him there. They thought, that's not Jesus, that's a ghost. And they were completely terrified. And you know, people with amnesia sometimes, they, they struggle to recognize people that they should know. And some of you in this room have maybe family members that are struggling with Alzheimer's. And, and you know what a... What a what a difficult and painful thing that that is. Um, Lauren's, Lauren's grandmother struggled with Alzheimer's for years, and what a difficult thing that is. Uh, we, we continue to pray for Pastor Sam that he would, would, re, would regain uh, the use of his memory, that he would be able to, to use that and, and to serve God. And, and, man, if you struggle to, to remember the things that you should remember, it's going to affect every part of your life. And when we think about this idea of spiritual amnesia, I mean, how many times are we in situations in our life, Jesus is right there, and we don't recognize him. We don't recognize him. We don't see him. We fail to connect the dots that he is right there. And that's what's happened to the disciples here. And said he climbed into the boat with them, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So we're going to get to scene two. But Peter is saying they had not understood about the loaves. They had not understood about the bread. And he summarized it by saying their heart was hardened. This, this idea of spiritual amnesia is a, is a heart that is hard. A heart that fails to see beyond just the here and now. Beyond just the current circumstances that are happening to me right now. That fails to connect the dots to remember, to remember what Jesus has done in the past, and how should that impact me now? What has God already done, and how should I respond to the events happening in my life right now based on that? 
a failure to recognize Jesus and remember what he's done. Now, one of the things that you, you see over and over again in the Bible is that the writers of Scripture are very realistic um, about failure. Very realistic. And one of, the, one of the reasons why, one of the most compelling things to me that tells me, man, this, this, these guys must have been telling the truth about what happened, is they didn't leave out their failures. Now, if I were forming some new religion and trying to get people to, to follow uh, what I was teaching, I don't think I would be going out of the way to point out my own failures. And yet Peter here, talking to Mark, said, hey, you've got to put this in. This isn't in any of the other Gospels. Um, you need to put this in. They, were, they had not understood about the bread, for their hearts were hardened. Another, another interesting thing that is left out of this account, if you read, read through Matthew, the same passage, uh, it talks about how Peter, you know, when he sees Jesus, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I don't know why that was left out of the gospel that Peter was most influential on. Maybe Peter was tired of talking about walking on the water. I don't know. Everyone, hey, tell us a story about the water. Tell us a story about the water. Peter is, Peter's saying, hey, it's not about us. And he goes to the, the extent to say our, the hearts were hardened. And, you know, the Bible is also very realistic about the difficulty that there is in believing in miracles. Sometimes we have the idea that, well, the reason that people struggle to believe in miracles is because we live in this modern time and we're very enlightened by science and all these things. L let me just say this. The the people in the, that lived in Jesus' time struggled to believe in miracles. The disciples, the, the ones closest to Jesus, they struggled to believe in miracles. There's a verse in the end of Matthew 28, you don't need to turn there, but it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee, this is after Jesus has been risen from the dead, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to, to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. It said some doubted. Now, don't be too hard on your friend that is struggling to believe in Christianity. Um, have patience with them. It says some of the 11 saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but it says some doubted. Now, there's no reason to believe that that was included unless that was part of the truth. And we know that, th that those 11 guys went on to do great things for the Lord. But let's have patience with people that are struggling with doubt. You know, we, we also kind of ask ourselves, do we see miracles today? And, and, I, and I believe absolutely we, we do. Um, you know, talk to, talk to Kyle Clarkson, ask him about his sister Katie and the, the aneurysm that she had and, the, and the, all the people praying for her and, and, and her healing. But I think of some things, some things that are, we consider to be just everyday kind of parts of life that if you look at them from another perspective, I think they really are miraculous. Um, how many of you guys have seen the movie Wally? -E? The movie Wally -E is this, uh, it's, it's a great, great movie, but uh, I like kids' movies sometimes, but it, it's about, it's set in a future where the earth has become uninhabitable. Nothing can grow on the earth. And there's these people living in this space station, and they're waiting there's, they send out these probes every so often, the space station does, to see if there's any life on the earth. And, 
and the whole plot revolves around, finally there's this plant. They find a plant growing. And this probe comes and gets it, and, and, and that whole idea is that living in space, these, they, they, didn't, they didn't have plants. They didn't have these things. And it, was, it was like miraculous for this to be growing there. And, you know, I think something as simple as a plant. I work for Pioneer, uh, the seed corn company in Johnston. And all we do is we sell seeds. And yet, how often do I stop and think about how amazing a seed is? You know, here's this tiny, hard, compact little just piece that if you saw it uh, sitting around, you'd just throw it in the garbage. But inside of a seed is genetic coding that is so complex that, you know, take a, a, a piece of seed corn. Inside of that seed corn is all this complex programming and information to say, hey, you know, you're going to, when the water touches you and the, the ground is warm enough, put out roots. And, you know, as you go and, and, and grow, there's going to be sunshine. You're going to take that sunshine and you're going to turn it into energy. And not only that, you're going to have leaves and you're going to have an ear and there's going to be a tassel on the top and the tassel is going to fertilize the ear and all this stuff. And then finally, you have this, this ear of corn. And if, if you lived in Antarctica or something and had never seen a seed, and someone came to you and brought it and said, hey, look at this. And they said, I'm going to put this into the ground, and it's going to turn into this plant, and it's going to have a whole ear of these. They'd say, you're crazy. That's nuts. And yet, it's just part of the, just the amazing wonder of this world that we live in, and, and we kind of take for granted. So that's just a little aside on, on miracles. But back in Mark chapter 6, um, I want to use that to transition into the, into the scene 2. Scene 2 starting in verse 34. So in the back of your mind, you have verse 52. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I want to think about, well, what was it that they didn't understand about the bread? Verse 32, they went away by themselves into a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Just a couple quick background points. This is the only miracle besides the resurrection that is in all four Gospels. 
So I think that, that gives it just an extra amount of importance and emphasis to think about what is it that God wants to teach us through this miracle. And another point to, to keep in mind is this miracle is coming at, the, at kind of the, the tail end of what we would call the Galilean ministry. And that's really, as we've been in, in Mark, uh, from the very beginning of Mark till now, it's been talking about Jesus' ministry in this area of Galilee. So you have the Sea of Galilee in the middle. Now all these towns surrounding this, this sea were really the areas where Jesus was emphasizing in his ministry. These were the areas he was trying to reach. And he's already done, you know, hundreds of healings. He's been teaching. He's been doing all these things. And so in, in one way, you can kind of think of this miracle as the, kind of the culmination the final unveiling that he is, is wants to leave this impression with these people of who he is. And so here they are. We know from the previous section that we're going to get to in a second that they are in kind of this, this deserted area, this area that's far from the cities. And, and all of a sudden they've got this problem. Oh, all these people, they, they're going to need to eat. What are we going to do? In verse 34, it says, tells us something very significant. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, I don't know if Jesus, if this is something that Jesus told his disciples or something that they figured out later on, that, hey, when he saw them, he felt like they were sheep without a shepherd. But I think it's pointing us back to a passage in the Old Testament, a prophecy that's, that's very significant. If you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, or you can just listen. I'm going to read a few verses. This is a prophecy that was many years before Jesus came. And Ezekiel was writing to, to the people of Israel. He says in verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And Ezekiel is railing against the leadership, saying, you shepherds of Israel are not doing anything that shepherds are supposed to do. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. And in the end, the sheep were scattered. And the whole point of a flock of sheep is keeping them together, and the, yet the shepherds of Israel were scattering them. And then he moves down in verse 11, after this kind of condemnation on these shepherds and these leaders of Israel. Ezekiel 34, 11, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. This is God saying, I'm going to come 
and I am going to be your shepherd. And all these scattered sheep, I'm going to bring them together. Now, what the disciples should have been realizing as they were walking with Jesus, seeing his miracles, seeing the way he was healing people, they should have realized, hey, you know what? This passage from Ezekiel 34, that's Jesus. He's the shepherd. In verse 14, it says, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And there they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And so here's Jesus in, in a place where, where Mark writes that there was green grass. And in one of the other Gospels, it says they were on a mountainside. And here's Jesus saying, you know what? I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to live out Ezekiel 34. And the disciples, they had no clue, okay? Part of this spiritual amnesia is forgetting about the words of God, forgetting about the promises of God. And so when the disciples see the issue, they come to Jesus and they say, what's their answer? Their answer is, send them away. Scatter the sheep. And it was the exact opposite of what Jesus was wanting to do. He is the shepherd saying, I want to I gather the sheep. I want to feed the sheep. I want to heal the sheep. I want to teach the sheep. And that's what he did. It says he began teaching them many things. And just to, you see the, the importance of what Jesus came to do. The biggest thing he came to do was to teach. And the miracles would come after. But it says he, he began teaching them many things. And, and I'm not going to go through each of the details of this uh, story, but a, a couple things to see is just you know, Jesus, when they come to him, he says, well, you give them something to eat. And we'll talk about that a little more in a later, in a, in a couple minutes. But what did he mean? You give them something to eat. What, what did he expect them to do? Well, they said, we've got, we've got this, these five pieces of bread and a couple fish. And, and then to me, I always love that, the reminder, I've heard it many times, but how God uses the things that we have. He works with what we have. He didn't, he didn't turn the rocks into bread. He took the, the loaves and the fish that they brought to him and he fed all these people. But I think the, the biggest lesson of, of this section, of this feeding of the 5,000, the most significant to me anyway, comes at the end. It says in verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of fish, of bread and fish. Now, first of all, I don't know how many times you guys have been in charge of, of figuring out food for, for company or guests. You know, it could be you have some people at your house and they say, hey, we're going to, let's, let's have pizza. And, you know, what's the first question? Well, how many should we order? And you start figuring out, well, you know, we've got a few kids and they might only eat one or two pieces and well, we've got so-and-so here, and they can eat a lot. And, um, you know, so this idea of, of planning for meals. And sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you're a little bit short. Sometimes, especially if it's like a church gathering, and, man, sometimes you end up with so many leftovers. And you're like, oh, man, we, we, wasted, we wasted money or whatever. You know, one thing that I like to do is I like to barbecue. And so whether it's at a tailgate or we'd like to have a block party every year, and and so I, I try to figure out, you know, how much meat I need to get. And again, it's just a constant struggle to know how many people are going to be there, how much they're going to eat. 
Well, think about, I want you to think about this, that Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's demonstrating his power through this miracle, but he's also showing us that his, his power also extends down to the most minute detail, okay? Because here you have, uh, it says 5,000 men, and then we know that there are women and children, so there could have been, you know, 10, 15,000 people, we don't know. There's lots of different guesses. And here Jesus, he knows exactly how much bread and fish to make. First of all, so that they, would, they were all ate until they were satisfied. And I think that word satisfied is this idea that they were full. You know, think of that, that the feeling you have after a Thanksgiving meal. Man, I am I'm full. I cannot eat another bite. And then he sends his disciples out to pick it up. And how, you know, how amazing is it that as they picked up all these, these leftover pieces, there were exactly 12 baskets of bread and fish. Every one of those disciples stood there with a basket full of bread and fish. Man, what do you think they were supposed to take away from that? They were supposed to take away that this Jesus that we serve is not only has the power to create out of nothing, he has the wisdom and the knowledge to do it in exactly the way he plans. It wasn't like he was just throwing out the bread and fish, and then when they got done, there was like this mountain left over. I mean, man, imagine that. There's a bunch of rotten bread and fish sticking around. There were exactly 12 baskets left, okay? The knowledge to be that precise in his creative ability. You know, and as he, as he works in our lives, and he knows exactly everything about us. And so that when he is working in our life, he knows exactly what needs to be done. So I think we want, to, we want to take that Jesus is compassionate, that he has creative power, and that his power extends down to the smallest details of life. Let's go back to scene one. Scene one, we're going we're gonna to learn a couple more things about this idea of spiritual amnesia. Mark 6.30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. What's he talking about? Well, you go back to the beginning of chapter 6, earlier in, early in chapter 6, in, in 6 verses, uh, end of 6 and into 7, it says, Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So Jesus sends these guys on a short-term missions trip. We don't know exactly how long. We think, you know, at least, at least, you know, maybe a couple months, but sends them out on this trip. And really, this was a faith-building thing that he was having them do, okay? He's trying to teach them by doing. And, and you'll know that it, when you do ministry, you should be learning a lot more than if you just hear about ministry. And we, we encourage everyone here, man, if you want to grow, get into ministry. But there's a couple really, I think, unique things about this. It says, verse 8, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. So Jesus is, is doing something I don't think is, is the norm for all of our ministry, but he's doing something very specific that says, in this situation, I don't want you to take anything with you. 
no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. And, and you think about, wow, you know, what if next year for the, the high school missions trip, we just said, hey, we're just going to send you guys out, all right? No food, no money. I, I don't think that that trip would, would happen because we would have probably a lot of upset parents. But the point is that Jesus was doing something very specific and he wanted them to learn something very specific. And notice that, that second thing. He sent them out, or the, the first thing, he said, no bread. So they had just got back from a several-month trip where they didn't take any bread with them. Now, what did Jesus want them to learn from that? He wanted them to learn that if I give you a job to do, I'm going to give you the resources to do it. And so when they went into a town, they had to find someone they were going to stay with, and that's where they got their food. But here they are, here they are, they, they get back from this trip and they're telling Jesus all these exciting stories. Man, here's what happened and here's what happened. And some of you guys were here on Wednesday night when, when Micah Tuttle was here. Man, that was awesome. He was sharing all these stories about things that, that happened, um, have, have been happening in his ministry down there. And I, and I kind of imagine the disciples coming back like Micah Tuttle, just boom, boom, boom. You know, man, here's what God's doing and all these things. And then the next scene, you see him with these 5,000 people, and what's their issue? Jesus, we don't have any bread for all these people. You know, I, I just imagine Jesus thinking, man, what did I just send you guys to do? What kind of spiritual amnesia do you need to have where you get back from this missing trip where you didn't take any bread, and you're in the wilderness and you don't have any bread, and all of a sudden, you're panicked about what's going to happen next. And so Jesus he wants us to learn from what he's done in the past, but it's a struggle. Um, I, I thought that was awesome last week. Um, Nick talked about how a year ago we, we moved into this building, and how quickly do we forget the, the, just the miracle or the, the way that God works, not just in our lives as individuals, but in our, in our body as a, as a church together. And, you know, he, he said, hey, go ahead and, and grab one of these jewels and the idea to, to, to remember, you know, what, what God has done. And I think, man, we need, to, we need to build so many reminders into our life of what God has done so that we don't forget. I think one of the biggest struggles in the Christian walk is just the struggle and the fight to remember, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what he's done in our lives. And here it is. And a couple, a couple just points to, to quickly draw out of this is that, man, spiritual amnesia and this forgetting what God has done, it can happen even when you are neck deep in ministry, even when you are serving God. Here the disciples get back from this missions trip, and how many times do you kind of have this, like, spiritual experience, and, and you are so excited, man, look at what God just did. And then two days later, you're freaking out about some other crisis, completely oblivious to what just happened in your life. And there seems to be this pattern sometimes where we have this mountaintop experience and next thing you know we're in the valley and we have forgotten the way that God has worked in our life. And you see it right here with the disciples. And they get back from this trip where they didn't take any bread with them and, and now they're, they're struggling with the fact that they don't have any bread. Well, they had something much more important and that was Jesus himself. And I think that, you know, one of the things is we, sometimes we fail to reflect. We fail to think back to what God has done in the past in our life. 
And I'm sure that if you sat here, here and just, I gave you a moment to sit quietly, and you could think of situations, times in your life, where God has done something, and when you just said, you know what? That was 100% God who did that. And yet, we're going to go out, and Tuesday afternoon, you know, there's some new crisis, some new emergency, and that is the farthest thing from our mind. And so just to leave with a couple applications, um, it's, just, it's just part of life. We, each one of us, is going to struggle with spiritual amnesia. I don't care, I don't care what you're involved in, what you're doing for the Lord. You're going to have moments, days, seasons when it's far from your mind. And the question is, man, what do we do about this? And, and I want you to, to, to see a couple things and remember that, you know what? Jesus is very gentle with for, forgetful people. And he has also left us with ways and, and things, that, that tools to fight back against this, this idea of spiritual amnesia. And, and, you know, one of the biggest ones is just his word. In Second Peter, when Peter was writing his letters, one of the things he said was that, um, in Second Peter 3, he said, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I mean, God's word is here to remind us. And, and you know what? We need it every day because we forget that fast. We're no better than the disciples. We forget that fast. And then he has also given us this reminder every week. And you know, this is why we do this every week because we forget. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave you with something that I want you to do. And the reason you're supposed to do it is so that you can remember what I've done for you. And the day after this miracle, you can go read about it in John chapter 6. Jesus teaches and he says, for all those that had missed the meaning of what he was trying to teach them by the bread, he says, I am the bread of life. Idea that, yeah, you know, Jesus didn't come to just continue giving them bread to fill their stomachs. He was trying to teach them that he was their source of spiritual life. And a lot of people couldn't take that. And it says many disciples left. This miracle didn't, this miracle didn't re result in this huge revival. It resulted in a lot of disciples leaving and saying, I, I don't want to follow this Jesus. And there's a, there's a story at the end of chapter Luke, at the end of the book of Luke, that I'm going to read before I break the bread. And it's, it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and he starts walking with a couple of disciples on, on the road to Emmaus. And it says, <clears throat> as he walks with them, he says to them in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay, stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, 
broke it and began to give it to them. Then look at this, this is so cool. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And one of the remedies for the spiritual amnesia that we all fight against is right here. It's right here. And as Jesus gave the bread to these disciples, their amnesia lifted. All of a sudden they said, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And as you guys take the bread and drink the cup, reflect on what Jesus has done in your life. Reflect on the miracles and the wonders that he has done. And, and ask him to help you fight against this, this struggle to remember. As you go on through this week, you said, oh yeah, I remember the bread. I remember that I have a Savior who came to give life inside my soul, who came to redeem me, who came to make me whole. Let's pray. Father, uh, just as, as Jesus broke the bread and the fish and gave it to those people on that hillside, people who, who he had compassion on, people who were like sheep without a shepherd. Father, right now you offer your bread and body to us as a way to remember. And Father, we pray that as we go on through this week, that we would not be like the disciples as they sat in that boat with hearts that are hard, with hearts that are unable to recognize who you are, unable to remember what you have done. Lord, help us understand about the bread. We thank you in Jesus' name. trials come, whatever happens, I want to just leave you with a verse from Romans 5. It says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have you been reconciled till we be saved through his life? Let's pray. Father, help us to understand about the bread, to understand that the Jesus who gave his body for us, while well, we were still enemies. God, how much more does he want to do for us now that we're part of your family? Help us to fight to remember. Help us not to forget what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.